the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. For those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For because those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. There's your hope. Your eternity is set and sealed in Christ. I can see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life Every dragon will fall the mountains will move Every chain of the past You've broken into All the fear of the lies We're singing the truth That nothing is impossible With you Oh, nothing is impossible Hello and welcome to the Grace to Live radio broadcast With Keith Crosby Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so grateful that you've joined us today for the broadcast. And as we always do, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's broadcast, Pastor Keith continues his study in Romans 8, entitled New Life. So if you have your Bibles, turn with us today to the book of Romans, chapter 8. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study. Father, we thank you for your word. Sanctify us in truth, Father. Your word is truth. Lord, we thank you for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus, for what he's accomplished for us, for what he is accomplishing in us, and for what he will accomplish for us in the age to come. Father, as we look into Romans, uh, help us to be changed from the inside out as we appropriate what we learn and apply it to our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're with us today for the first time, and we are in a study of the book of Romans. Uh, We are in Romans chapter 8, and we began Romans chapter 8 two weeks ago. We are in Romans 8, 16 through 30 today. The sermon, the message is entitled, New Life, New Hope, and we're going to be talking about hope. Now, this passage is long. It is filled with treasure. We will not be able to unpack it all today. We will double back next week to Romans 8, 28 to 30 to talk about some things there. But today we're going to hit some of the key themes, and one of the key themes is hope. We live in a world that is hopeless, where people walk around downcast, uh, destroyed by their circumstances, overwhelmed by the situations and hardships they face because they lack hope. Christians even struggle. You and I all face hardship, difficulty. I face hardship and difficulty. You do too. 
How do we hang on to our hope? How do we maintain hope in the face of hardship? How do we stay upright on our feet, God-focused, ministry-focused, gospel-focused in this broken and fallen world with all of its sickness, sadness, and sin? And the key to that is hope, so we're going to talk about hope today. What is hope? We often say things like, gee, I hope it doesn't rain today, we have the church barbecue. Or we hear things like, well, I hope that works out for you. Or be optimistic, have hope. People have beaten the odds before. Hope often seems to be one of those uh, undefinable, fuzzy concepts that feel good. And it's like art that one critic said, I'll know hope when I see it. I know art when I see it. One article I read uh, listed seven kinds of hope. One kind was inborn hope. Some people are born with a naturally optimistic disposition and they're hopeful. It's almost like a childlike hope. They're hopeful no matter what. Others have a chosen hope. That's where people choose to have hope in the face of overwhelming odds. Again, sort of an inborn optimism. There's borrowed hope where someone is facing a situation or a circumstance and they derive hope from other people's hope in them. And so they borrow hope from this person because this person says, I know you can do this. You know, you can do anything if you put your mind to it. And so they feel hopeful. There's bargainer's hope. Uh, That's where, you know, if I do all the right things, I hope karma, the gods, the universe will be good to me. Sort of the hope that somebody has sometimes when they're facing a dreaded disease and they go through the stages of dying. There's unrealistic hope. That would be an example. That would be me at my age thinking, you know, if I practice hard enough, I can be the next Steph Curry. And that's, that's that's an unrealistic hope. I can assure you of that. There's false hope. It's hope that ignores the facts and strikes out in blind, thoughtless faith. I can do anything if I just have enough hope. We see that in our culture today, very feelings-driven but not very fact-driven. And then there's sort of what people call mature hope, and that hope is that I don't care what happens, things are worthwhile regardless of the outcome. It's sort of a counterfeit version of our hope, Christian hope. None of these types of hopes are the hope that we have as Christ followers. None of these hopes are Christian. They are pagan. They are secular. They are sort of like folk religion of the culture. Christian hope is radically different. It's not, I I hope it doesn't rain. It's a hope that is a certainty. And the example or the analogy I want to give you is this, is that of prophecy. Christian hope is like Christian prophecy. What do I mean by that? Well, some people think of prophecy as predictive. They go to this person and say, tell me about the future, whether it's a pagan or a modern 21st century Christian who might be a little bit confused about things. But prophecy isn't predictive at all. Prophecy is declarative. It's a statement of fact that comes from the all-wise, omniscient, omnipotent, sovereign God. He declares the end from the beginning, and so we know what's coming. We have the Word of God, the 66 books of the closed canon of Scriptures, telling us everything we can expect in the future. That's prophecy. It's not a prediction. It's a statement of fact. And, and, it's, and it's precise, and it's not fuzzy. It's clear. You know, today a lot of times the modern prophets or sort of like the old time soothsayers, they have feelings and impressions. There's no thus saith the Lord. Biblical prophecy is thus saith the Lord. It's precise, it's clear, and so is our hope. Because our hope isn't based on a feeling. Our hope is based on fact. It's grounded in reality because it's grounded in the character of God, the trustworthiness of his promises, and the clarity and certainty of Scripture. In Romans 8.28, 
is all about hope. It's about what is grounded in the omnipotence and sovereignty of God over all of our life, over all of our situations. Christian hope is a hope that is founded and grounded in the fact that God is sovereign and he is going to have his good pleasure in this world and that all things, as we'll see a little bit later, truly, truly work together for good. And in Romans eight sixteen to 30, you see reasons for hope. You see hope described, discussed, declared, explained. And what I'd like to do right now is read this for you, and I want you to follow along in your Bibles. And I want you to see in this passage where hope can be found. I want you to see the discussion of hope, the certainty of hope, and we begin with Romans 8, verse 16. And this is a little bit of what we covered last week as well. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we might, may also be glorified with him. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For creation, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjective to, futi- to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know, because we know, that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who, who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, We wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that those who love God that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for because those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And it goes on with that great passage that what can separate us from the love of Christ. What we have here are several pictures of hope. In this passage about hope, we find no uncertainty. We find no lack of clarity. Instead, we find hope and the reason for hope, whatever our hardships, suffering, and circumstances. And looking at this passage, you can find and retain hope for yourself. So today, what I want to do with this passage is derive and distill four actions four hope-filled actions that you can take in the midst of tragedy or hardship so that you can have hope. Today, from our text, I want to encourage you to take four actions in the face of suffering so that you can cling to what is true. And the first action is this. Strive to keep the Savior and eternity in focus. Keep Jesus and your eternity in focus. Do not lose sight of them. 
Look to Jesus in your eternity for hope, for confidence. This is part and parcel of the Christian hope, clinging to what is true, keeping your eye on the ball, as it were. Where do we see this? Where do we find encouragement for this? Where do we find hope to keep the Savior in our eternity in focus? We find it in verses 16 through 18 and 28 through 30. Let me read them for you. The Spirit himself, that's the Holy Spirit, bears witness with our spirit that we, that's you and me, are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. You know a tree by the fruit it bears, right? For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Verse 28, and we know, and we know, that those who, for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For because those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. There's your hope. Your eternity is set and sealed in Christ. If you belong to Jesus, nothing is going to separate you from the love of God. Nothing is going to keep you out of heaven. Nothing is going to keep you from your ultimate final salvation. You know, we are saved spiritually right now. We are saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved literally and physically, and we'll get to that later after the final judgment. We will be given our resurrection bodies. And what it says here is, is that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, reminding us to whom we belong, whose we are, what we are, fellow heirs with Christ. And we studied right in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the spirit has set us free from the law of sin and death. We have hope. That is your hope. You belong to God. You belong to Jesus. Jesus is God. And you have reminders Through the Word of God, the Spirit-inspired Word of God, the indwelling Holy Spirit who brings to mind the things that you've been taught, the teachings of Christ, who you are in Christ, that you are His child. You are a child of God. Every human being is one of God's creatures, but not every human being is a child of God. But those who are in Christ, those who are in the kingdom, as we discussed last week, belong to Him. And as it said in John 10, nothing can rip us from his hand. That's why it says, again, in Romans 8, 1 and 2, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Salvation changes everything. Life in the spirit changes everything. We talked about this last week. In Christ, you are in the kingdom. You are no longer outside of the kingdom. You are no longer aliens and strangers, but you've been brought near. You are heirs You cry out to him as heirs, Abba, Father. You are in the kingdom. Your position has changed relative to God and your relationship has changed. You cry out to him, Abba, Father. There is an intimacy there. And you now have resources that you didn't have before. The Holy Spirit who indwells us. This is all from last week, right? And we're gonna, you know, this discourse in Romans 8 is sort of telescoping. The discourse flows from a series of ideas and build on the one before it and keep going and going and going. You'll see that over the next few weeks. But understanding this truth, that you are heirs, that you are fellow heirs with Christ, that all things work together for good, that God has you and your destiny sealed and certain is how you cling to hope as you, as you keep the Savior 
and your relationship to him and your eternity in focus. And that's why he says in verse 18, for I consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. We do not yet know what we will be like, but we know that we will be like him, right? We have a taste in that we are free from the condemnation of the law and we are alive in Christ. We have hope. The best and very best is yet to come. And we'll see this play out in the passage here. As children of God, we have hope, hope that is a certainty, hope that is precise. It's not a fuzzy feel-good thing. It's a fact. It's not a feeling that's going to change like the tide. It's a fact. It's a truth. It's an objective truth that will endure. You belong to God. You are God's child. You are God's son. You are God's daughter. You are fellow heirs with Christ. And no matter what happens to you, if you've been justified, if you've been born again, you will be glorified. Never allow yourself to lose sight of that fact. That is certain. We have hope because of our salvation and its future promises. And we can maintain that hope because we know the nature of God's character expressed in the magnificence and the agonies of Christ's sacrifice. We understand his sovereignty. And that's why you see this we know statement in verse 28. And we know, it's not, it's a different word than we believe. And we know that for those who love God, All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And then we have this beautiful chain, this order of salvation, so to speak, that those whom he foreknew, those he set his heart on, those he predestined, and those he called are those that he predestined, and those that he called he justified, and those he justified he glorified. It's all in the past tense because God has decided. We cannot lose hope if we rightly think about the surety and eternal security of our salvation. We live in a broken world where there is sickness, sadness, sin, and suffering for now. And sometimes in this momentary life, the stresses and messes of this world, the heartbreak can be wearying and it can begin to wear us down physically. And so we have to cling to God determinedly because once you belong to God, you belong to God. And nothing can take that away from you. Nothing can, you know, it says later on in Romans that the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. You know, some uh, of our brothers and sisters in some circles believe that you can lose your salvation, but you can't. It wasn't yours to give. It's not yours to throw away. Those who he sets his heart on, he predestines. And those who he predestines, he calls to himself. And those that he saves, these that he saves, these that he justifies, he will glorify. Therefore, in the face of suffering, you've got to make a decision. Are you going to trust God or not? Are you going to keep your eyes focused? Are you going to keep eternity in the forefront of your mind or are you going to live like this life is all that is we must consider and remember Jesus and all that he endured and accomplished for us and we need to fix our eyes on him and that eternity and not allow ourselves to lose sight it's a choice it's a choice you know salvation is a gift sanctification is a process that we undergo as we cooperate with God as he tests and strengthens our faith through situation and circumstance One of the most encouraging verses and challenging verses that I find in Scripture, a passage really, is Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And there's a reminder there. You know, it talks about in Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith, all the saints who came before us. And then it says this in 12, 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, so great a cloud of those who are born testimony, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. For who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. 
and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus knew the promises of God. He knew his calling. He knew his purpose. And he could look beyond his circumstance. He could, he could for the joy set before him, right, endure the cross. God has raised each and every one of us up for such a time as this. He's given us our own little piece of redemptive real estate. He's given us a mission and a purpose, and we have to be focused on him. We have to be focused on the calling that we have as Christ followers. We have to always remember that eternity is before us and that we have a purpose and that people will look to us. People will watch us. People will, you know, we live in a surveillance culture. Everybody always worries about the NSA and the CIA and all this stuff and Facebook and Google. But you know what? Christians have always lived in a surveillance culture. The world is always watching us to see if what we believe in is real to us, if we really believe it. And if we have hope, if we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our salvation, our faith, if we keep eternity stamped on, the, on, on our foreheads, and as we trust in him inch by inch, day by day, we can't lose hope because each day brings us closer to home. We are aliens and strangers just passing through. This momentary life is not all that is. This life is short and eternity is long and we're headed home. And therefore, we should not be without hope. If we can keep these things in our mind, if we can focus on these things, we'll have hope. And that is cause for hope because none of this is theory. None of this is wishful thinking. It's all fact. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We serve a suffering Savior. They hated him, they'll hate us. They persecuted him, they'll persecute us. No surprises. The world is broken. We vandalize it. Our first parents, right, sinned against God and we sin against God. And the world is a broken, tragic place. But all things do work together for good. And he's able to say in verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. You and I, we, me, you, have to look to Christ, clinging to what is true, to a hope that is a certainty, and that one day we will be with him and like him. That is the glory that is yet to be revealed, and we can't even begin to imagine how wonderful that will be. So strive to keep the Savior and eternity in focus. Keep an eye on the ball, so to speak. Have hope. That's the first action you want to take. When stuff starts to go wrong, when you get that phone call from the doctor, whatever happens when your prodigal goes off the rails for the first time or the 50th time, whatever happens, remember that there's a larger picture, and we'll get into that in just a moment. Have hope. Keep the Savior and eternity in focus. You are not on your own, okay? Action number two, action number two. Hope is found and sustained by taking this second action. Remember that God never wastes our suffering. Our suffering is never wasted. This both both has to do with the character of God, the purposes of God, and the sovereignty of God. These actions, like I said before, they build on one another. First, you keep your eye on the ball, so to speak. Secondly, you remember what is true, that suffering is not wasted, that our God is not a random careless, capricious God like the heathen gods are, right? As we read and as we read a moment ago, the world groans under the weight of sin. Look at verses 19 to 24. For the creation waits with dread. No, it doesn't wait with dread, does it? It doesn't say that. For the creation waits with eager longing. For what? The revealing of the sons of God. 
Pastor Keith Crosby on today's edition of Grace to Live. We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us today studying God's Word. If you'd like more information on Pastor Keith or Hillside Church, here's how you can connect with us. Our mailing address is 545 Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose, California, 95136. The church office telephone line is area code 408-269-4782. And you can connect with us on our website, which is gracetoliveradio.org. There you can check out archived messages of past sermons and also listen to Pastor Keith's weekly blog. And please remember that the Grace to Live radio program is a listener-supported ministry outreach of Hillside Church if you'd like to partner with us financially. Again, all of these things are available to you on our website, gracetoliveradio.org. Also, I'd like to remind you that Pastor Keith and the staff here at Hillside always look forward to hearing from you. So if you'd like to drop us a note, you can email us here at keith at hillside.org and also at jono at hillside.org. That's J-O-N-O at hillside.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time for Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves. And on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you. And thanks for listening. Thank you.